Vincent Werbos, Derby. Good evening, welcome. Um, uh, I feel like I just have to add my introductions to the noise that's going on around us and say, we are Derby and we're in the playoffs. Come on! Uh, so we're excited about that. Well, some of us are excited about that. Other people couldn't care less. Uh, and bless you. Um, so, uh, as Anna said, we're starting a new series this evening. And so if this is your first time with us, this is a great time for you to be with us. We're just starting this series thinking a little bit about the choices that we make. And in particular, sometimes that we're kind of paralyzed by fear over the choices that we make. Too many choices and we don't know how to make a correct decision. So we're going to dig into that for the next four weeks and we're, going, we're jumping. Before Easter we were looking at the book of Philippians which is kind of in the middle towards the end of the New Testament. We're jumping today right back to the beginning of the Old Testament. We're jumping to Genesis so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to get it out now. If you haven't got a Bible and you want one, there are some dotted around, or there will be the big Bibles in the sky will have our texts that we want on them in a few moments. We believe this book, this ancient text, can speak into our lives today. And so every time when we gather like this, we want to read the Word, we want to see what it says to us, and we want to allow it to speak into our hearts. And this text today, in particular, is one of the most ancient it is the beginning of the greatest story written in the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and uh, this is the start of that narrative. It is the story of Joseph. Now, some of you might know this story because of a musical. We will not be singing over these next four weeks. If you want to sing in your head and in your hearts, feel free to do so, but I'm not going to punish you by singing to you. Uh, that is of your own take. But apparently Joseph is coming to Derby. It's um, being put on in one of the theatres soon. So if you're really interested and you want to see Lloyd Webber's version of it, go and do that. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to pick up the beginning of this story. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed the land of Cana. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, it must be noted at this point that Joseph brought a bad report about the flocks, not about his father's wives. That's a very different sermon. Now, Israel... First confusion as we get into the text. Israel is Jacob. Jacob and Israel, um, Jacob had his name changed to Israel when he wrestled with God in Genesis 32, I think it is. And um, so sometimes they call him Jacob, sometimes they call him Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe for him. Now note, Okay, this is where Lloyd Webber gets it wrong. It is an ornate robe, not a robe of many colours. Okay, so you don't need to sing that song. That's the made-up bit. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of this, his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Loving Father, we pray now that you will use this ancient text to speak to us. We want to be shaped and molded around your word and your truth and your love for us. So speak to us now, we pray. Amen. Um, I want to start this evening by telling you really my confession. Um, Something happened to me a couple of weeks ago and I feel like I need to tell it to you, but I'm hoping that uh, you won't judge me for it. Uh, Although if you do judge me for it, you're well within your rights. Uh, A couple of weeks before Easter, we had a baptism service here on the Sunday. And on the Saturday evening, uh, Anna had gone to bed, and I had done what I tend to do on Saturday night, which is watch Match of the Day. And uh, Match of the Day was just finishing. I was just about to head to bed. And I got a phone call. And the phone call was from the alarm company for the church. And um, I answered the call and the alarm was going off in the building and uh, I decided to come down to church to check out what was going on. Mainly I was um, fearful that the pool that we had put in full of water had somehow leaked and had somehow set off our alarm. That's what, where my head went. That was not what had happened. But I drove down here, and what I hadn't realized, and if you're out on a Saturday night in town, you will know this, they shut off some of the roads around here because of, they don't want um, people coming out of the pubs and the clubs and cars all driving around, and there's a safety thing, so they barrier it off. And so I got to where I normally would come, Mount Church, and there was a barrier in the way, and um, I stopped and did a UE in the road, turned around to try to find a place to park, and as I did that a police car came round the corner. And the police car saw me doing this Yui and was enough, I believe, for the police car to be suspicious of me. And so they ran my number plate and then they followed me as I drove down um, St Mary's Gate to find somewhere to park. And then this is the confession bit. They pulled me over and they arrested me. Now, please don't judge me, as I've said already. What happened is that they pulled me over and the female police officer said to me, excuse me, sir, do you realize that you are driving an uninsured car? At which point my response was, but I'm just a vicar, I'm just going to my church, the intruder alarm's going off, please, I just want to go there and then I want to go home. And she's like, yeah, but you're still driving an uninsured car. So, because I don't look like a vicar, 
and because she thought I was trying to pull a fast one, she said, well, let's go to the church and check and make sure the intru- there is no intruder in your church. I think she just wanted to make sure I actually had keys and they could get in here, and it, I was being legit. And we came in here, and um, there was no intruder, but the light was on in the kitchen. And so I sent the male uh, police officer into the kitchen to check, see if there's anyone in there, because I was, by this point, my nerves were shot. And I said, you go and check. Anyway, there was nothing in here, and it was all fine. And we go back towards my car, and they say, please, can you get in the back of the police car? I was like, okay, I wasn't expecting this. This is a brand new experience for me. I have never, ever been in this situation before. And um, they didn't as such arrest me, but they did caution me. They said those words, Jen. What is it? Um, Anything you say... There you go, Jen. Brilliant. Uh, They said that. They said that to me. And my heart rate was soaring. I'm thinking, what on earth have I done? And there was no way in the world I would have intentionally been driven, driving an uninsured car. But somehow something's gone wrong. And I'm thinking, have I not renewed my insurance? Did I not tick a box on something? Have I missed an email? And by this point, I'm trying to work out who I'm insured with, where that email might be, and I'm panicking and I'm panicking. They, they get a van to come out and pick up my car and take it to the compound. At two o'clock in the morning, they eventually drop me home. And as they drop me home, I say to them, thanks for the lift. And um, I didn't sleep a wink. I felt absolutely sick that I had somehow got arrested. And I, I was going through everything in my head. And I just could not work out what might have happened. And I just lay there and I was thinking, I've got to tell Anna. I've got to tell Anna. And it, I was absolutely panicked. So the next morning comes around, Anna wakes up, and she says to me, How, did you sleep all right? I said, no. And I said, you won't believe this, but I got arrested last night. Oh, last thing she knew was I was watching Match of the Day, and suddenly I've got arrested. And she's like, what on earth have you done? So um, I tell her, she laughs at me, it's all fine. I come down to church, we do the baptism service. I'm still panicked by this point. Anna is going around telling people, laughing at me. And I'm like, I am not ready to laugh at this yet. It might become a sermon illustration in a few weeks, but right now it's too raw. Anyway, turns out, when I finally get home on Sunday, I find my insurance, I work it all out, I go down to the police the next day, I show them my certificate of insurance. And what's happened is that my insurance company, who I will keep remaining anonymous, had not updated my input, my data, onto the police system correctly. So it was my insurance company's fault. I no longer have a criminal record, you'll be pleased to know. Now, I tell you all of those things, A, because I just needed to confess before you started to hear somewhere that the vicar in St. Wilberg's got arrested, but also... Because when I was lying in bed at four o'clock in the morning trying to work out what had happened, all the stuff that was going around my head was about choices. I knew it was the, it was the alarm system phoning. It had just gone midnight. I could, have not, I could have chosen not to answer the phone. The, our, our alarm system has been going off quite a bit. And sometimes I've not bothered to come down because I know that something's, it's just rattled something. That no one's here. It's all fine. But I chose to come down because of the baptism pool. We've got two cars. I chose to get in our old, smaller car. I chose to drive down here. I chose to do the UE, probably in a semi-annoyed, quicker way than I should have done, and driven off to try and find a parking space in front of the police, and I could have chosen not to have done that. 
all sorts of things. And I'm thinking, well, I've chosen this, I've chosen that. Why did I, how have I got myself to this position? If I went in our different car, I would have been fine. If I'd not gone, I would have been fine. And now I've got a, all this issue with the police and hassle and it's just... We all face choices every day. Some that have ramifications that are bigger than others. But we have choices every single place we look. Big choices. Major lifestyle choices about who we're going to be. Life partners, jobs, where we're going to live. Whether we're going to follow Jesus or not. We have small choices. What cereal am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear? What what shirt am I pulling out of the cupboard to put on today? We have choices about kind of our ethics and our morals. Veganism. What we're going to do about plastic. How are we living environmentally friendly? How are we working these things out? We have choices to make. We have everyday choices to make. You clean your teeth, I hope and I pray, twice a day. It's a choice that you make to spend two minutes cleaning your teeth in the morning and in the evening. Why? Because you know it in some way is good for you. There is an implic- there's something that works its way out. If you do that, you will, you will remove the chance or you'll limit the chance of toothache, which nobody wants. We know that we should choose to eat healthily. We know that we should choose to exercise. And we make decisions ourselves based upon whether we feel up for those decisions or not. We make choices all the time. And then we are stuck. We are stuck in this moment of going, we've got all these choices, and sometimes the choices are just too big for us to find. Now, I'm going to give you what I reckon is probably my most middle-class sermon illustration ever. I reckon the problem with choice is all because of wine. I I don't really drink much wine. I'm not a big wine fan. But when I go into a supermarket or a, a, a shop, you know, bottle shop or whatever they call them, I don't even know, um, I am overwhelmed at the choice of wine. I don't know what any of it means. I, I, you know, I've been told that a, a way of understanding whether it's a good wine is how far you can put your thumb up the bottom. I mean, that sounds weird. Because apparently in posh restaurants... You hold the bottle like that with your thumb up the bottom. This does make sense. And that's how you twist and stop spillages. So if it's got a big... you, Those of you who drink, don't laugh at me. You know what I mean. <laughs> it's too confusing. There's too... It's too it, it, there's, I just... The, the, the overwhelmed by the amount of choice with wine. So I go for the cheap bottle, because that's how I make my, my decisions. But those questions live with us in not just how, the things that we consume, but they come into our real lives. Should I post this on social media? I don't know, I'm confused. Should I, if I do this, I might get it, I might get it right, I might get it wrong. If I buy that item of clothing, if I have that relationship, if I choose this over that, all sorts of things, and we become, I think at best we get FOMO. We have a fear of missing out by making the wrong choice. But I think at worst, there is an anxiety of choice. We are absolutely stuck 
without being able to move forward because we fear making the wrong choice. And so how can we learn from this ancient text about choices that we make today? In Genesis 37, the start of this story of Joseph, we have a young man, 17 the text tells us, loved by his father, his dad's favorite, which is always the start of sibling rivalry, always. It might be one thing parents to have a favorite, but to admit it, whew, don't go there. So much so that he doesn't even just say it, but he buys in this ornate robe. He, he puts something into the middle of this sibling rivalry and relationship, and he says, right, I'm going to choose you. You're my favorite. I'm favoring you. And of course, the brothers hate it. Of course they hate it. I think any one of us would hate one of our siblings being favorited over the other one of us. And so they, they get annoyed. Joseph then has these dreams that he very unwisely decides to tell his brothers his dreams. Oh, you're all going to bow down to me. I'm telling you, if my brother told me I was going to bow down to him, I'd have lumped him one. We don't want to do that. We don't want to hear it. Then he says, oh, no, not just the brothers, but the sun and the moon as well. Mum and dad are going to bow down to me. Rivalry continues to build and this hatred goes on. The story continues into chapter 37. And the brothers who are getting increasingly angry and frustrated with him decide to kill him. That's their choice. We'll murder him. But then Reuben, one of the brothers, says, no, let's not murder him. That's, that's too much. Let's just throw him in a pit and pretend that we've murdered him. They throw him in a pit. And of course, when he's in the pit, they see some slave traders running past and they think, ah, oh, let's make some profit out of this. And so they flog him into slavery. In this first chapter of the narrative that goes on, I've counted 27 individual choices that are made. Some choices that are good, some that are very obviously bad. Selling your brother into slavery, always bad. If you get nothing else from the text today, take that home with you. That is undeniable, always bad. Some of the choices are kind of more internal, mental. Joseph, uh, Jacob, rather, he decides to hold on to that in his mind. Some choices are made in response to other people's choices over them. Some choices are made with really good intentions, but come out negatively. Could never have forecast what would happen. All these choices build up. And I don't know, but as I read that, I can relate to it. Choices that I've made in my life that were meant well, but didn't turn out right. Choices that I've made in my life that I've just held on to in my brain, but never actually spoken out. Choices that have been good. Choices that have been bad. That I've almost actively chosen. Maybe you can find yourself in this story as well. But I think there are three things that we learn from this first chapter. And we're going to read other chapters over the next few weeks. But three things that, we can, that can help us reduce our anxiety over choices. The fear that is crippling us when it comes to the choices we make. 
And the three things are this. The first one is this, should I say. Choose God-given dreams. Joseph had these amazing dreams. And if you know the text and you've seen the musical, you'll know that there are more dreams to come in the story. But that is the, that's the, the good part of the story. He chooses to listen to when God speaks to him. The bad bit is that he unwisely tells people. But choose God-given dreams. Simon Sinek talks about the fact that when we're making um, work decisions and kind of business and cooperation and all those type of decisions, he says you must start with the why. Start with the why, because it is the why that drives us. What is the why? What is the God-given dream that he has spoken into your life that you can make choices to lead you towards? My dream as a 17-year-old was to be a professional sportsman. Now, unfortunately, I then found pizzas and pies, and um, I realized that I had no talent, and that was never going to happen. But actually, the more I started to understand who God was and spent my life kind of following him, I realized that actually there might be some kind of dream to lead a church, to build a community, to potentially even plant a church from scratch. Chase the God-given dream. That is where you will find fulfillment, hope, purpose, meaning, if you follow that. Now, there are two things that if as you think about those God-given dreams that you might want to ask yourself. The first one is, to do that, you've got to be listening to God. Joseph actually had dreams. Dreams in the middle of the night as he was sleeping. But dreams that spoke to him. Dreams that he remembered the next morning. Dreams that kind of went, ah, God has given me that. And maybe you want those dreams. I'd encourage you, if you haven't had those types of dreams, ask God for them. You might be surprised. But sometimes God doesn't speak that clearly. Maybe you need to work out what those dreams are in other ways. We sang earlier, stir a passion in our hearts. What are the things that create a passion within you? What are the things that stir you, that say, I want to be part of that. I could could really develop a business or something that creates this. I could be part of uh, healthcare or teaching people or whatever it might be. I could go help dig wells in Africa, whatever it is that starts to stir within you. Ask people what they see in you. That's very different from saying you're going to bow down and worship me. That's saying, what did you see in me? And as we listen to trusted friends, you'll start to see something being spoken out of you. There'll be a God-given dream that will be repeated and spoken. Listen for that God-given dream. The second thing, when we're thinking about God-given dreams, is don't brag about it. Joseph's problem was that's exactly what he went and did. He bragged to his brothers. Hey, look at me. I'm going to be amazing. You're going to bow down and worship me. It's all going to be great. Don't do that. That will always cause problems. Sit on it. Allow it to percolate within you. Let it marinate within you, this sense of what this God-given dream might be. Because then the longer you spend there, the more you'll realize that that is God speaking and it's not just too much cheese before you went to bed. (laughs) Allow it to sit within you. Because as you sit, other people, as I've said earlier, will call it out of you. 
always choose God-given dreams. And the second thing that is linked to that is always choose long-term, not short-term. If you've got a God-given dream, you've got to choose the, the long-termness, if that's a word, of that dream. For Joseph, we know that it takes about 20 years, at least 20 years, from this first moment when he's 17 to when we think he's possibly more like 39, so over 20 years, where actually the brothers come and bow down in front of him. There is a long-term choice to make. And we choose things in relation to that. So if you have a God-given dream to go, I don't know, as I said earlier, maybe to go dig wells in Africa, then maybe this is the point where we need to start making decisions that say, well, I'm going to get some engineering. I'm going to learn what it, how to actually dig a well. Maybe I need to learn some French or some uh, native African languages to speak if I go to Africa. I need to think about my healthcare. I need to choose potentially a partner who might have that shared vision and goal rather than someone who's only ever going to stay in the UK. Choose for the long term, not the short term. Always choose for the long term and not the short term. Everything in our world today is almost instant. You can get an app for it. You can even, if you want to find someone to date, you just need to swipe right, swipe left. I don't, I don't, you have to swipe something. It's instant. But actually, the things that really matter, the things that really make a difference in our lives, deep relationships, where you're fully known and you know someone else, job satisfaction, fulfillment, hope, meaning, all of those things take time to work towards self-confidence. If we just choose the short term, we end up just choosing to kind of comfort ourselves. I'll just make a quick comfortable choice here. This will remove any suffering I might have. This will make my life a little bit easier and nicer now. But what that means, let's be honest, is that we take the cake. We take the cake. Nothing wrong with eating cake but we go for the short-term comfort when we know that that's not a long-term goal. Always choose for the long-term, not the short-term. Jesus. Jesus chose for the long-term, not the short-term. In Luke 4, Jesus goes into a village and he heals a whole load of people. They bring all the sick to him and he lays on his hands and he casts out demons and he heals people. And then he goes away, he hides, he goes off and prays. And as he's praying, as he's um, on his own, they come and track him down. They find him and they say, Lord, we've got all these more sick people who want to meet with you. They they want to come and they want to be with you. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've, I've, I've come here to go to Jerusalem. I've got to keep moving on. So Jesus was able to turn what was a short-term probably, you know, really good thing to do. He says, actually, no, the long-term goal here is I go to Jerusalem. And he also knew that as he went to Jerusalem, the opposition would rise. That as he went through the towns and the villages, casting out the sick, proclaiming the kingdom of God, loving people, opposition would happen. And when he got to Jerusalem, the cross awaited him. But when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he chooses the long-term, not the short-term. Jesus is crying out to God, take this cup of suffering away from me. I don't want this. He's, that's the short-term prayer. But then he says the long-term prayer, let not my will but yours be done. He chooses the long-term, not the short-term. Because in the long-term, he knows that the choice means salvation for humanity.
relationship with God, forgiveness, life eternal. Choose the long term, not the short term, because you're choosing God's dream for your life. The third thing, the third and final thing, and I think this is actually the key point to this evening's talk, is choose knowing that God is in control. Joseph gets thrown in a pit, gets beaten up by his brothers, has his coat taken from him. They then go and sell him into slavery. The text doesn't tell us how Joseph actually responds at this point. And I wonder what he did. I don't know whether he put up a fight. I don't know whether he actually physically struggled, whether he shouted or whether he just kind of looked at the fact that there's 11 of them and only one of him. And he's the younger brother and his younger brothers are always the ones who get beaten up. And he just went, oh, fine, I'll just, whatever. But Joseph was in the pit. He couldn't have been further away from the dream that God had for him. Thinking, this life is just not going as I expected. But actually, God was in control the whole way. At the end of the story in Genesis 50, Joseph says this to his brothers, verse 20. He says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Sometimes that passage is translated as this. You wove evil, but God rewove it together for good. In God's hands, what is meant to harm us can be turned for good because he is in control. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things. We know that in all things, say it with me, all things, God works for those who love him. So if you are stuck with choice anxiety, not knowing what to make, what, if I make this decision or that decision, if I choose this or choose that, God can work in all things. You don't disqualify yourself by making wrong choices. God is still God. He is sovereign over all. And even, and I believe I'm really speaking to someone here this evening. I don't know who it is, but I believe that God has laid this on my heart for someone. Even if you are suffering because of the choices of your family made over you. Maybe you have suffered from brothers who've beaten you up. Or a parent who favorited your sibling over you. Or an abusive parent or an absent parent. And you're living with the scars and the emotion of that. The pain that that has left you with. What was intended to harm you can be rewoven for good. God can change that. He can change the story that has been spoken over you, the story that you have experienced in your life. If you want proof of that, look to the empty grave. Easter Sunday morning. Jesus died. It was intended for evil. They were killing him. They were getting rid of him. They didn't want him around. But what was intended for evil 
God rewove for good. For good for you, for me, and the whole of humanity. Because the grave is empty. Resurrection happened. And because resurrection happened, we can have life in all its fullness. We can know love, and we can know forgiveness, and grace, and mercy, and we can be in eternity with the Father who created us. What was intended to evil has been turned for good. Because God, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. If you want any more proof, texts, proof text of who God is, that he is sovereign, here's four. Psalm 90, verse 12. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Brackets. Not dependent on your choice. Close brackets. I added that bit. Colossians 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Brackets, including your choices. Close brackets. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For, your, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I believe choice anxiety comes about. A, because there's too many choices to make. But B, because we think we're in control. We think, and and of course there are consequences to the decisions and the choices that we make. But I want to tell you this evening that God is in control. God is Lord. He is sovereign over you. And he can work in all things, even the things that were made to harm you. So when we're making choices, I want to encourage you to choose God's dream for your life. Choose the big, scary, hairy, audacious goal that God has set before you. Choose the long term, not the short term. Keep choosing long term for those things. Work towards the choices, the goals that God has put before you and know that in the midst of all of it, choose knowing that God is in control. Can I invite you to stand?